Hey, assalamu alaikum. My god, it's 20 past 3 in the morning. Oh, it's taking longer than I was expecting to do this episode. So, let's start off with uh, with an apology. I'm really sorry. I know it's been a while since I've uploaded an episode and that's not fair because I did say that I'd be publishing every couple of weeks and without boring you um it was a combination of illness and work commitments i'm learning as well you know uh how to do this how to get those episodes out on time so just bear with me uh i'm pretty new to all of this so yeah this is episode 7 i really hope you enjoy it it's slightly different i had to think long and hard about how to talk about this particular topic uh, those of you who've listened to the previous six episodes will be used to a particular format. This one is slightly different. We're going to start off with a clip from one of my favourite movies, which is uh, Malcolm X by Spike Lee. And then it's going to follow the format of the previous episodes with that little ditty bit of music that you all seem to like so much. <laughs> So, um, yeah, enjoy. Did you ever look up the word black in a dictionary? For what? Did you ever study anything that wasn't part of some con? What the hell for, man? Come with me. Black, destitute of light, devoid of color, enveloped in darkness, hence utterly dismal or gloomy, as the future looked black. Pretty good with them words, ain't you? Soiled with dirt, foul, sullen, hostile, forbidding, as a black day. Foully or outrageously wicked, as black cruelty, indicating disgrace, dishonor, or culpability. And there's others, black male, black ball, black guard. Yeah, well, there's some more, right? Let's look up white. Here. Read. White. Of the color of pure snow. Uh, reflecting all the rays of the spectrum. The opposite of black. Uh, free from spot or blemish. Innocent. Pure. There's something without evil intent, harmless, honest, square dealing, and honorable. Wait a minute, but this 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 was written by white folks though, right? I mean, this white white folks book. This sure ain't no black man's book. So what are we reading this one for? Because the truth is lying there if you read behind the words. There's always been something quintessentially English about Richmond upon Thames. Maybe it's the sight of the famous river sweeping majestically through its centre. Or the herds of deer running freely through the eponymous Richmond Park. Or perhaps it's the magnificent Georgian buildings that decorate the tiered, grassy embankment, itself 
dotted with inviting pubs and quaint boathouses. I'm standing on the embankment at sunset. The early evening air is filled with good cheer. The clinking of celebratory glasses. The strumming of an acoustic guitar. And the distinct, nervous laughter of young love. It's a beautiful, enchanting, aspirational scene, but I'm under no illusions. Over the years, I've learned that people like me don't really belong in places like this. So I'm feeling uncomfortable. I'm feeling constricted. But I've learned to hide it well. Behind a broad smile, an easygoing, inoffensive conversation. So as the last of the rowing boats return to the pier, I catch myself staring across the water, dreaming that one day I would find my place and that I could finally breathe. Episode 7 Fear and Loathing It's 1993 and I'm sat in a classroom and I'm pretty bored. I'm staring at the clock and I think it's just given up. It's going so slowly. I'm sure you've been there. It's a maths class, applied maths. And there's about six months until My exams, my A-level exams, which ultimately are going to determine if I go to university. To be honest, I wasn't particularly bothered. A working class kid who's just kind of going through the system, bored out of his tree, studying maths, chemistry and physics at A-level at Richmond College. I wasn't particularly invested in my education. When I think back, it was pretty much a missed opportunity. But anyway, that's probably a separate podcast. So I'm sat in this classroom. It's it's basically a porter cabin, um, a temporary classroom while the, the real classrooms are being renovated. And I'm waiting for that bell. It's the final class of the day. And I just want to go home. I just want to jump on my my moped. I had a moped, a 50cc moped. And yeah, I just wanted to get home. And so when that bell went, I was out of there. So, you know, I packed my bag and I was just about to head out the door. And the teacher calls me back. And I turn around and he's pointing at me. 
and he's pointing at my friend, Ayub. And he basically says, you two stay behind. Now, this is clearly not going to be good news because we are the disruptive ones in the class and we don't particularly get on with this teacher. Now, Mr. Singh, he's a, he's a tall, tall man, elegant in his movements, with a grey beard and a large turban. And he normally, if I remember correctly, colour coordinated his turban with his jumper. So it looked, he looked the part. And he had a heavily accented uh, voice, Indian accent. So he basically said, you two, stay. I'm not going to do the accent, although I could, but I'm not going to. You two need to sit down. We need to have a chat. Great. So I look at my friend, he looks at me, we sit down and we're slightly smirking about this. It's probably because it's a bit embarrassing, but anyway, so everybody filters out, the classroom empties and there's just the three of us. And I can see him now. I see him there sat behind his desk with the blackboard behind him. And there's the two of us who have kind of moved. We normally sit at the back so we can muck about, but we've had to move to the front desk so we can have this conversation or we can be spoken to whatever is about to happen. And he, he opens his mouth and he says, Urdu and my jaw hits the ground. I'm completely gobsmacked. Uh, and for those of you who don't understand what I've just said, he said, do you speak Urdu? Now this was very weird. It was weird because we didn't have that connection with him. You know, he may be from India. I may be, and my friend may be from, you know, a similar part of the world. But it's not anything that we ever bonded over. But he had chosen this time to, to do that. And it, it was weird because as soon as he did that, the relationship kind of changed from student teacher to uncle which yeah very weird so anyway uh after we got over that shock either myself or my friend said uh yeah or a little bit which was true just a little bit um probably understand more and so he continued in urdu now, I won't embarrass myself by trying to repeat what he said, but I'll give you the translation. And he was angry with us. And he was angry with us because of who we were and what we represent. And who we were and what we represent were two Southeast Asian boys in a white world. Who were, f who were flushing their education down the drain 
That's what he was angry about. He said to us, don't you two understand that you have to work twice as hard as the white students, even to stand a chance of getting the same opportunities. He said, don't you understand that? Don't you understand that when you mess about in my class, that you are ruining your own future? And look, to be fair, at the time, I thought it was quite funny because um, that's the way you deal with things when you're a bit embarrassed. You kind of just snigger and laugh. Uh, but, you know, it was, it was it was something that stayed with me. Clearly it stayed with me. I'm talking to you about it. And so we left and I thought to myself, something has to change. But to be fair, I didn't do particularly well in maths. So I don't think it changed that much. But over the course of time, yeah, it did change my perspective. I did realise that in the UK, race plays a massive part in who you are. And the opportunities you either earn or are not able to earn. So what does any of this really have to do with relationships? You know, or children? Or faith? Well, I think it's directly related. There's a strong correlation. You see... People of colour who grow up in this country are a minority. And they are treated as a minority. And when I say they are treated as a minority, there's various ways in which that can happen. You can be subjected to racism, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, some kind of xenophobia, prejudice. There's various ways in which you can be treated as a minority. Sometimes it's overt and sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes you don't even know it's going on. A lot of the time you hear people say, We don't see colour. We're all the same. To which I say, bullshit. I'm not the same as you. Hell, I'm not the same as somebody of a similar background to me. But I'm definitely not the same as you who are indigenous to here. I have a background. I have a history. I have a culture and a tradition. I have a context and a relevance. And all of that needs to be respected, not tolerated. It needs to be respected. And to respect it, you need to understand it. And to understand it, you need to open your mind to talking about it. The idea that we are colorblind needs to go. Because what you really 
are saying or would like to believe is that we are equal and I can get on board with you with that yes we are equal we are definitely not the same and this does feed into a, a colonial history that we've never really been able to reconcile in this country we don't talk about it we're not educated about it we just haven't reconciled it we believe we've moved on from it and it's living here right with us right now it permeates our relationship with each other and with the rest of the world so again bringing this back to relationships when you are subjected to overt and covert racism and prejudice you have to be able to process it you have to do something with with that experience now some people decide that changing who they are or attempting to change who they are is the way to go and so they do their best to strip themselves of their culture of their heritage of their history and they assimilate we call those people coconuts you know they're brown on the outside white on the inside and then you get those people who go in the opposite direction and they realize that birds of a birds of a feather flock together and that you are safer amongst your own and so you end up living in areas where you only are amongst people of your background and you can see this all over the UK you can see segregated communities and those segregated communities blame each other for that segregation the white community looks at the segregated communities and says well they they don't like to integrate they don't like to mix they have their own ways they're different not everybody but that's a that's one way of looking at it and then the people within those communities say well the reason we live together is because we're not welcome to mix amongst the white population and if you look at certain cities in the UK you can see that white flight is an issue that when a brown or black face moves to the area that the white families move out so there needs to be a better understanding between communities but this is not meant to be a podcast about social cohesion this is meant to be a podcast about how growing up in a society where race is an issue impacts your ability to have a stable relationship because that was my personal experience my experience my negative experience of being somebody of color in the UK 
the major and microaggressions that I have faced has shaped me as a person. And in many ways, it strengthened who I am, it's defined who I am, it's helped me to process what I believe. But on the negative side, it left me fearful. And I carried that fear into my relationship. And when you carry fear into a relationship, that fear needs to be processed. And unfortunately for me, the way I process fear and anxiety is through anger, is through some kind of passive aggression. And I can tell you that clearly now. And I can see exactly how it impacted upon my marriage. But at the time I didn't understand this. I didn't understand that relationship. Now if I've lost you here, well let me give you an example. I would feel anxious whenever whenever we were in public. Because I felt that I wouldn't be able to protect my family. As a man, and many men define themselves as protectors and providers, the idea of not being able to protect my family gave me a sense of humiliation a humiliation which I would have found very difficult to live with and the fact that this feeling it wasn't a crippling feeling it was something I could live with but it was there whether we were in a shopping centre or walking down the street or going in a shop if there were other people around, for me that was a threat because that is what I learned growing up. That in society you're surrounded by threats. It wasn't just the physical threat either. A verbal, a verbal altercation would, would impact me badly as well. Because I clearly define myself as somebody who should protect and provide for his family. And so even the thought of not being able to do that gave me a sense of self-loathing. Self I didn't like myself for this. It made me feel like a coward. I couldn't step up to the plate if I needed to. I didn't even know whether I had it within myself, the courage to do the right thing. I didn't want to find out. And that added another layer of self, self-loathing. And so you're angry with yourself. And I'm not one of these people who can hide his anger. So then you're 
you you're bringing this drip 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 passive aggression into your relationship and it's not fair and you're not even able to articulate why you're behaving like that you don't even know why you're behaving like that i'm only able to tell you this now because of self-reflection and conversations with people like Elias and reading various books and so after a while your partner decides that you're not actually good company out and about so you stop going out together you stop going out so can you see can you see how this experience of hate can lead to an emotional dysfunction in your relationship i mean it's not rocket science but i wanted to record this this episode because i'm a strong believer in as you probably already know i'm a strong believer in being emotionally healthy ideally before you embark upon a relationship but sometimes that's just not possible and it's never too late to unpick your emotional self in order to be better that's all we can really aspire to be isn't it it's to be better versions of ourselves not to lament or to destructively regret but to always accept where we are and who we are the good bits and the bad bits the bits which need to stay and the bits which need to go we're on this constant journey of self-improvement but i'm not talking about the self-improvement of the material world i'm talking about the self-improvement of the soul and of the mind so that ultimately we can live in healthy relationships and we know we know that the quality of our relationships determines the quality of our lives let me say that again the quality of our relationships determine the quality of our lives that's not an opinion that's a fact it's not your bank account it's not your status it's simply how you get on with other people so let's make a commitment to better understanding ourselves and why we behave the way we do and to improve that and not subject our partners and our children and our family to the worst bits of ourselves because that's what we do isn't it when we step out the door for some reason we're on best behavior but then when we're amongst people we can take for granted we bring the worst of ourselves to the table that's not being fair to yourself 
and that's not being fair to your loved ones. So standing on the embankment in Richmond, I felt this sense of unease, this anxiety. Richmond is a white middle-class town. It was built in, the train station there was built in 1846 where it became a suburb that the population would visit in order to avoid the madness of the inner city. It's always been an aspirational place, and there's so many places like it. But they're not for me. And that's fine. I don't expect to live in utopia. So I'm still searching for my place. And I'm hoping that one day I can breathe. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the Divorce Muslim Dad podcast series. I seriously appreciate every single one of you that does take time to listen to this. And to those of you who get in touch, letting me know how much you're enjoying it. You can email me at divorcemuslimdad at gmail.com or you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at M-O-I-A-Z-A-M. I do love to hear from you. I do respond to everybody. And remember, I'm not a counsellor, so I'll never offer you professional advice. But if you do feel you want professional advice, then I will ask my network and see if I can come up with somebody to recommend. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Assalamu alaikum.